0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church once again. If I didn't say it before, my name is Rich. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and I hope you've been having a wonderful time this Easter Sunday celebrating the risen Christ. Uh, As a church, since February, we entered into a season in the church calendar called Lent. And the word Lent literally means springtime, which in Seattle, we appreciate, especially when that day of sun comes out and we start seeing the cherry blossoms come. This season is traditionally a time of preparing um, and preparation leading up to Easter. It's a time where we symbolically return to the wilderness where Jesus spent 40 days readying himself for ministry. Lent is historically a time of practice and a time of testing. It's a time of preparation for new life and renewal and transformation. Together, as a church... We have spent this time journeying in our own day-to-day life, and in it we've waited, and we've hoped, and we've cried out for this day to come. And today is what we've been waiting for. Resurrection Sunday is here. But what exactly does that mean for us today? What does that mean for our world right now? That's a great question. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark chapter 16, 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. I will have it displayed on the wall behind me, and you can follow along that way as well. But it's Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, and I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version as well, and uh, you can just follow along with me. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed, as you could imagine. But he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Understandably. Now, Right off the bat, there's a very interesting statement that's spoken by the angel to these ladies that I want us to notice. The angel says to the women, he is not here. He's talking about Jesus and speaks to these women and says he's not here. And this is a very interesting phrase because it actually functions on two levels. On one level, it has to do with the story itself, which is pretty basic. Jesus is not in the tomb. He's gone. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's absent, and so we get this. But there's another level that this statement functions on, and in order to understand the second level, we have to understand something about the ending of Mark's gospel. If you're looking at your Bible, Mark's gospel generally will find is ending at verse twenty. What we just looked at was up to verse 8 Now the original gospel of mark the ending ended right here at verse 8 this verse that we just read with the women leaving terrified And many years went before a gathering of people decided to come and add some more stories to mark's gospel To kind of fill out the ending because as we can see it's a bit abrupt at the way it ends at verse 8 And what that means is that there was actually no post-resurrection appearance of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark in the way it was originally written. All we get is these women coming to the tomb. They see an angel. The angel says, he's not here. And they leave afraid and terrified. And even today, that's a very abrupt, not-so-satisfying ending. Now, I want to be clear. Uh, This is not to say that what was written after that is not true It's absolutely true But I think it's very interesting that mark purposely as he originally wrote this had it end at verse 8 and I think he did so deliberately Because I think the statement he is not here is also functioning on another level of telling us not to look for jesus in these literal pages in other words, we don't have to go back 2,000 years. We don't have to use this as a functioning history book to go and see Jesus because he's not here in this. If you're looking for God right now, you don't have to look here in your Bible. He's here right now. And so what Mark does and the other Gospels don't do as much is that he's actually trying to get our focus or our attention on something other than the physical resurrection that happened. The other Gospel writers spend a lot of time and energy on that, Mark Not so much. For Mark, it's sort of like when you throw a stone in the water. And when that happens, a giant huge splash instantaneously happens and then disappears and vanishes. But the effect of the stone hitting the water radiates out. There are waves that ripple out. And they go endlessly until the shore, it's hit the shore, in a sense... If you will, the impact of the resurrection is sort of like the stone hitting the water. There's this dramatic, amazing, powerful event, but then there's this after effect that continues beyond it. And that after effect is the response of the people who confront the reality of the resurrection. The encounter is a wave that radiates through history, and even right now, right here, this morning, we are all in some way a part of the effects of the resurrection. And Mark's gospel is far more interested in that ripple effect than the stone itself. So then the question there is, what is the effect of the resurrection? What is this, and what does it mean for us, especially today? And this verse, verse 8, this very last verse of the original version of the Gospel of Mark tells us something about the effect of the resurrection and what happened to these three women who experienced it. So I want us to look a little closer. Behind me is Mark 16, verse 8. And it says this specifically. So these women went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So it would seem that the primary effect of the resurrection, according to this text, is fear, right? They're scared, which we can kind of recognize. And you see there's the word afraid and terror packed right in there. This house has amazement, but actually other translations translate the word amazement as bewildered as well. So if you look at that, then we have fear and confusion as the effect of the resurrection. Not exactly what we call satisfying. Or something we're all thinking, man, I need some more fear and confusion in my life, right? So what I'd like to suggest is that there is a translation that we could do to this that might help us understand it. That for today, the way this is translated is not as helpful. It's not that it's wrong. It's just what it portrays to us in 2016 is a little thin. And so what I want to do is look at three words and the way they describe the effect of the resurrection so that we can see, I hope... That what Mark is intending to communicate is something far different from fear and confusion. So the first word I want us to look at is this word afraid. And the actual Greek word is phobeo. Let's hear you say phobeo. Oh, yeah. Fabeo. It's a nice word. Now, fabeo is a word that does mean fear, but not necessarily in the way we generally use the fear. When we think of fear, we think of watching a scary movie, some horror flick. We think of the terrorist attacks that have happened in the last few days. We think about a big spider. Whatever it is, that's what we think of when we hear the word fear. But here in the text, the word fear is used primarily instead to talk about awe and reverence. My uncle Tommy, he's from Brooklyn. He's never been to Seattle before. And 14 years ago, he came to visit for the very first time in the summer. And it was sunny, but it was in typical Seattle fashion. It was kind of hazy. And my uncle was convinced it was physically impossible for the naked eye to see Mount Rainier from Seattle. He thought it was too far away. And so he was here for a week, and he thought all those pictures were, like, Photoshopped. And he's here all week, and he couldn't see it because it was hazy. And it wasn't until... The day he had to leave for the airport, I'm taking him in the early morning, southbound I-5, when the sun was rising and Mount Rainier was out. And he saw and experienced phobeo. He experienced awe when he saw that. And that's the tone of this first word, afraid. It's the tone of awe, not so much of fear. Now, the second word is the word terror which is not something we hope to experience a whole lot of. And to be clear, it's okay to translate this original word as terror, but the word actually in Greek is the word traumas. And the word traumas literally means to tremble. Now, of course, we might fear and experience, in our fear, experience trembling, but you can also tremble in all sorts of other reasons, right? Like when it's cold, outside, which we know about in Seattle, or when we're excited, or when we're angry, or stressed, or waiting in great anticipation. And I think these women were trembling for a totally different reason than that of being afraid. And the evidence of this, I believe, is found in the very next word, and that is the word translated amazement, or if you're looking at the NIV, it's the word bewilderment. Now, there's something really interesting about the word amazement and bewildered. Um, This translation is what I would describe as a domesticated translation. It's toned down. It's muted a bit. The actual word to describe the effects of the resurrection on these women is actually this Greek word, which is the word ecstasis. Ecstasis, which is where we get the word, you might guess, ecstasy. And it's not that hard for us to imagine why they may have translated that differently, because when we hear the word ecstasy in our culture, we associate that in our minds with drugs and sex. It's probably a good idea to keep that out of the resurrection story, right? It's not because amazement or bewilderment is an incorrect translation. It's just muted. It's just kind of dialed down a bit. But the literal actual effect... Of the resurrection on these women is a experience of ecstasy, and if you think about it, amazement, especially bewilderment, seems far different from that. Amazement, if we think about it, is kind of this detached experience, right? We we might say, "I find that rather amazing." It's a cognitive statement, something of enjoyment, a surprise, if you will. Ecstasy, on the other hand, is anything but detached, right? It is a complete, immersive, engulfed, full-body experience, and it's radically different from bewilderment. Now, in the Greek, being in a state of ecstasy means literally that you have essentially lost your mind, right? And so we have this phrase, are you out of your mind or I'm out of my right mind? That's the idea here. Your rational thoughts are no longer fully there in the way that they should be or the way that you are used to having them. It's not that you've lost access to your rational mind or that your rational mind is no longer intact. Biblically, that is the word madness. But in ecstasy, your rational mind is still completely intact. It's still completely accessible. You've just been thrown beyond the gravitational pull of your rational mind. It's like your heart is bursting way beyond. It doesn't get rid of your rational thoughts. It just goes far beyond it's ever experienced. So I'd like to share with you briefly two quick examples of times where I experienced ecstasy. And I want to be clear, it's not drug-induced experiences. Um, the first one I will never forget is a similar uh, experience to what I'm doing right now. is standing right here and I was looking And the doors of the center aisle opened when my then fiance Jennifer Richards, the door opened and she started coming down the aisle. And that was this moment that still to this day was an absolute blur of ecstasy. I was trembling and I was in awe and I was out of my right mind, right? And yet fully present to something that was radically transforming my life in that very moment. Another example I'll never forget was when my wife was about to give birth to our first child. We purposely did not find out whether uh, our baby was going to be a boy or a girl. I had the privilege of getting to announce that. And the truth is, we had no idea what we were getting into as parents uh, or any of those kinds of things. And so the moment comes where uh, I get to publicly announce it's a girl. And it's in that moment my life literally was transformed. It was a moment of ecstasy and trembling. It was a moment in which I was in awe and I was out of my right mind in so many ways, right? And yet fully present to something that I'd never, ever remotely experienced before. Now, with all this talk about ecstasy, I want to be clear that ecstasy is not something that God just gives for the sake of pleasurable experiences, It's not something that God just gives us for a high like a drug, although God always has a purpose for it. And when we look at Scripture, every single time God gifts an ecstatic experience or state of being to someone in the Scriptures, it is always for the sake of transformation. Always. And I'll give you two examples, ones that we've looked at recently here at One Life. The first one, when Adam was created by God, And God said it's no longer good for Adam to be alone. He needs a woman. God did something. God put Adam into a deep sleep or trance, the scripture says. And that phrase, a deep sleep, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint, uses the exact same word right here. God put Adam in a state of ecstasy beyond his rational mind, and out of that ecstasy, God brought a new order of life, an extraordinary, beautiful order of life called a woman, and the world was transformed. Now, another example that we see is in the story of Abraham, a story we looked at not too long ago. Abraham met God for the first time, and they began to talk, and God decided he wanted to make a covenant with Abraham. So he puts Abraham into a deep sleep or trance. It's the same word, ecstasis. God put Abraham into a state of ecstasy. And out of that, God created a new covenant, a new relationship, a new promise, a new order of things. And so this word, ecstasy, in the scripture is always followed with some sort of amazing transformation and new thing so i'd like to suggest that these women when they confronted the reality of jesus christ no longer there in the tomb but raised from the dead they were not terrified they were transformed they were transformed And the text says, if we look at it, it says, So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they uh, were afraid. As we've looked at these three words now, I think we could look at it and translate it with a little more information now. And it might sound something like this. So they went out and fled from the tomb, trembling with ecstasy. They were utterly speechless and full of awe. I don't know about you, that sounds far more exciting to me than terrified and confused. Now, so what? Again, 2016. Well, I wonder of myself, of all of us, when was the last time you trembled with awe and ecstasy because of your relationship with God? Have you ever experienced that? It's a really... Good question for us to think about because for a lot of us literally being here right now is purely habit And we may have forgotten that we've experienced these things We may have gotten so caught up in the habits of our rational mind That the thought of ecstasy in the relationship with god is simply not an option or even available to us right now But I'm convinced that this experience of the resurrection is not something that just happened 2,000 years ago for these women. It is something that happens right now, today, in every moment, in every breath of our life. God is offering, God is initiating and inducing this kind of experience. It's up to us all to pay attention to it and to orient ourselves towards it and to surrender to it and to accept it Right here and now, so that God can transform us. Now, I want to pause for a moment and just ask you all to take a deep breath. Just, I need a breath, so humor me. Take a breath. Now, when you do that, do you realize how transformative that breath is? It may not seem like much. it might seem like a routine and it might not even be something you ever pay attention to but imagine for a moment if you didn't have another breath to breathe or if all of a sudden you just could not breathe you are alive right now for a reason you have a purpose do you believe that You are constantly, we are constantly being resurrected by the grace of God at every single breath, whether you realize it or not. The very breath, the very spirit of God is giving us the greatest gift of grace and life right now at every moment. How? Well, because Jesus is the only one that can give us this gift because he is the resurrection and the life. The only one to conquer the power of sin and death, and he did it for you And he did it for me, and he did it for us, and he did it for all. And God's desire is for us to live out every single breath we have to the full. Can you imagine what life would look like if we all saw each breath as a gift of grace from God? At every moment, if we lived our life as an offering of thanks to the one true God who literally gave us life and is giving us life, can you imagine how transformative that might be? That is the ripple effect of the resurrection. This is the effect of the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's available for everyone right now at every moment. I was trying to think of a way to kind of help put this into everyday language. And I was reminded of my wife, Jen, has a friend whose family runs a chiropractic practice. And it was a while ago where we had to go there. Jen's back was not doing well. And honestly, the chiropractic zone is a little crazy to me, but it's awesome. And what I learned was that what happens when your back gets out of whack is that the muscles around your vertebrae begin to spasm and tighten and when those muscles begin to spasm it starts to lock everything up so it's really hard to adjust so what chiropractors will often do is they will find ways to help relax those muscles uh, and your body so that the adjustment is more gentle allowing the body to be more receptive to those adjustments which makes sense right And I actually think the spiritual transformation that we're talking about is a lot like the chiropractic experience. Your soul is kind of like your spinal cord. And your soul can easily get out of joint or out of whack or calloused. And in many ways, your soul kind of spasms and constricts and gets locked in place. And a lot of us can go a really long time in that place. And what happens is then we become resistant to the very movement of God in and around us. And so this gift of ecstasy, this gift of the resurrection life, this gift of a breath, or as the Old Testament calls it, this deep sleep, this is God's version of relaxing our spiritual muscles to let you breathe a little deeper, a little easier, a little more relaxed. And as you relax in the movement of God, in that experience of God, He is able to make those subtle manipulations to your soul that allow yourself to experience new life and new freedom and relaxation in the spirit. So if you are feeling stuck or constricted or addicted or spiritually locked up or calloused, my invitation is to pay attention to the moments of awe those moments that make you tremble those experiences of ecstasy even if they're for a split moment because they are there for a reason i believe god is trying to get your attention he wants to connect with you he wants you to recognize what he's offering you at every single moment and when you're in those places just take a deep breath And give thanks that you literally were given the gift of experiencing that thing right there. And it came from God. And that's where you're invited by God again to surrender to the initiative and to experience the new life that he wants to give. And this allows us to literally experience the resurrection of Jesus in our very own hearts right now at every moment this day. Because what's really interesting is you think about the story, these women... They never saw Jesus raised, and yet they experienced this divine experience. All they got was being told Jesus has been raised, that he wasn't there, and immediately it was available to them. And every one of us in this room who has never seen Jesus raised has the same opportunity to accept and experience exactly what they did. We don't actually get to see Jesus, but confronting the reality of this gift of new life springing up offers us the experience right now, right here for all of us, even if we're in the most difficult place in our life. The resurrection, as we accept it and confront it and submit to it, literally changes everything, and it can change you too. The question is, have you? Will you orient yourselves towards Jesus? Have you, will you receive Jesus as the true giver of life, the resurrection and the life, the only one that can conquer death and live again to provide us life? We cannot do it on our own. And are you experiencing a relationship with God as a result? And if not, why? Uh... I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And as they do, we're going to kind of close this up. But I want to point out in your bulletin, again, that connection card. If you could pull it out, flip it on the back. There's some space to write. I have a couple questions. They're simple questions. I would love to hear from you all, um, even if it's just one of them. And each one of the doors has a wood box. You could slide it in there. Uh, But these just get us thinking, get us talking even as we go. Um, So the first question. How would you describe the state of your soul? And it could be one word. It could be three words. But how would you describe the state of your soul? Stuck, tight, spasming, hurt. Maybe you're feeling open and flexible and free and healthy. Whatever it is, be honest. I would love to hear from you. And the second question, when was the last time you encountered an experience like this with God? For some of you, it's been a really long time, but even now you're remembering it. For some of you, it could be literally right now. You're experiencing the reality that you are knowing that this is something you cannot do alone. That the breath you're literally breathing is this gift of grace from God, from the resurrected Jesus. And for some of you, you're not sure. Maybe you never have. I would love to hear from you, whatever it is. When was the last time you encountered an experience like this with God? And number three, what is keeping you from orienting yourself to these types of encounters with God? Or maybe another way of putting it, what's getting in the way or distracting you from encountering God? And be honest. It could be you're just busy. It could be that you have kids screaming at you all the time. I have no idea. It could be whatever. Um, it could be doubt. It could be that you were, experienced something traumatic, especially in the church, and, and so it's, it's a blockage. Just be honest. Because for some of you, this encounter that we're talking about, this experience is happening for the very first time right now. You're literally breathing and realizing you did nothing to deserve it, that Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, is giving you life right now, and you don't want to ignore it anymore. You actually want to submit to that, and you want to live life to the full according to God's plan. And you have lots of questions. And for some of you, you're remembering this experience, and you're experiencing it again. And for some of you, you're not sure about any of this. And what I want you to hear is that as a church, we believe that we're all a work in progress. That we don't have it all figured out. And there's going to be times when we're feeling really good and free. And there's going to be other times when we're going to be feeling locked up. But you don't have to have it all figured out. We have what we call a long-term oriented relationship with God. It's process oriented. So, If you have questions about this, if you're interested in becoming a follower of Jesus, you're trying to learn more, or even if you just had an encounter, that's it. And you would like to talk about it. I would love to hear from you. I'd love for you to just write it on your connection card, but I would love to hear it. Um, Talk about it. Be reminded of it. Be encouraged in it. And I would love to hear from you. I am uh, going to close this up in prayer. And then afterwards, our band will lead us in a song. And then you are, will be released. I want to let you know right below us, down in the comments there's a feast to enjoy and to celebrate the risen Christ. We'd love for you to stick around and enjoy. Uh, but if you need to go, by all means, uh, let me close us up in prayer, and then we'll sing. God, in this moment, as we breathe, we realize this very powerful gift of grace that it is to be alive, to even be able to breathe. We did absolutely nothing to deserve it. And yet you give it to us over and over again. And so right now, as we recognize you, Jesus, as the giver of life, we ask that you would lead us. We don't want to squander these breaths. So we surrender to your will in our life. Again, we can't do it on our own. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit you are the one true giver of life. God, it's my hope and prayer this Easter that every one of us here has the chance to experience this gift, this ecstasy that can only come through the resurrection of Jesus. God, help us to experience what it is to be transformed by your love and that we might help others in this world to be transformed by your love. I we'll pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Son. Holy Spirit. Amen.